Cappuccino with Constable Brian. Real people, real stories. So I am with a lady who is an actress, a model, formed Voices of Hope with a lady called Jazz Thornton. She also used to wash her hands until they bled. She is a survivor of anxiety, anorexia and mental illnesses. She's had an obsession with the numbers 2, 4 and 6, ruling her life, making her twist doorknobs and pages four times, believing that she would die, one of the members of her family would die if she didn't. Yeah, it's all sounding familiar, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the good news is she's only 25 years old and... She's just given me a world's first because I've never, ever picked up a model from a public library. So <laughs> I've never been picked up in a police car. <laughs> that's awesome. So a uh, big welcome to Genevieve Moira. Thank you. Uh, so with the Cappuccino podcast, because I know that you probably haven't listened, it's only really my mum and dad that listen. Uh, so that's all good. So what we do is we do a pop quiz round dedicated mm-hmm. to Speed, the world's greatest police movie of all time. Okay. And if you think it isn't, please don't disagree with me. <laughs> Leave uh, now. Yeah, yeah. So question number one. What? is the last book that you read or the book that you're currently reading oh i'm not a big reader what was the last book i read the last book i read was one called ove beautiful i was going to say to you what's the last text message you sent but i know it was i'm standing on the road waiting for you that was the one (laughs) uh what's your current cell phone wallpaper it is oh i like these questions it's me and alex king at one of the hope walks awesome uh dinner for five guests Mm -hmm. who are your other five guests anybody from history yeah uh, pop culture, anything you want. I bring both back both my granddads, Ellen DeGeneres. I love her. Um, someone like Michelle Obama and oh, tricky, tricky, tricky. Who's a guy? Um, I'm gonna say Fastbender. Beautiful, right? And two questions from your niece. First of all, is because uh, I happen to know Jen's nieces quite well. Uh, one, who's your favourite niece? Oh, yeah, that's a bit. I was going to say Cooper, but that's not a niece. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Both. Yeah, right. Good. And two is, do you think that Mila will ever be a better model than you will be in six years' time? I think Mila's gorgeous, and she should be modelling. Yeah, awesome. Good work. Okay, there's our pop quiz round over. You suffered anorexia since the age of fourteen, and you once only weighed forty-eight kgs. How tall are you, Jen? Yes, six foot. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, I've had a mutual friend of mine suffer from anorexia. So I've seen it firsthand as well. Where did it start off for you with your just your anorexia? Um, for my friend, it was she went to netball practice. They were all part of a rep team, and somebody said to her, "Wow, your cheeks have gotten chubby over," and that was mm-hmm. it. And mm-hmm. she had kind of, she said, from right from that moment on, what she said, it just felt like I was going down a spiral. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I look back on, I never felt like I didn't like the way I looked. Um, my kind of issues stemmed or what I what I talk about is that they stemmed from the anxiety so I had anxiety and then obsessive compulsive disorder and there was a real lack of control and I think I wanted to find that control from from anything I possibly could and food was something that I could control without um, anyone I guess stepping into you know what you put in your mouth is up to you yeah exactly you suffered from obsessive compulsive disorder as well with your doorknob uh, turning and your page turning where you turn like four pages at a go Mm -hmm. Was it at the same time, or did it lapse into one, or did they overlap? And um, there was a bit of an overlap. So um, the kind of timeline I see is anxiety, then OCD, and then into the anorexia. But um, with anorexia and eating disorders, um, OCD is quite a common yeah. trend or thread. So when I was um, stuck in my eating disorder, my obsessions became more around exercise as opposed to um, 
doorknobs yeah. and numbers and books and yeah, it's crazy hearing all that. It sounds like a completely different person. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, what's it like to somebody who's never experienced OCD? And I've got to be honest, I have had lots to do with mental illness in my job. Yep. Uh, I very often have, I call myself the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the average person who's never ever lived with OCD. What's it like to live a day in the life of somebody who's got OCD? I actually found one of my old journals recently, and the whole two pages of this journal had numbers. So it was like eight, four, two, blah, blah, so on. And at that point, it would have made so much sense to what those numbers meant. Now I can't remember it all. But um, I needed a lot of warning because before I left the house, I had to do a certain number of things. Um, My brain was in constant... um, panic mode and I guess when there's this real fear and and I think the frustrating thing about OCD and you can ask anyone that suffered with it or is suffering that um you know that touching a doorknob isn't going to be the difference between your mum or dad dying but the fear seems so real that you just give into it to get it over and done with but then it becomes more and more so a day in the life of me was um well I wasn't really living I didn't want to get out of bed in the morning and as soon as I did my whole day was um around rituals yeah um, and I think lots of people, they have, I'm going to say superstitions, yeah. but they are almost bordering on OCD themselves. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I know of lots of famous sports people, for instance, who won't take a sports field right. unless they've got a special pair of coloured undies on. Or right. they've got, I've even heard of people putting five cent pieces in their playing boots. Really? Because that's their lucky shaman or whatever yeah. they believe in. So. And I think there is a blurred line because, I mean, I have some friends that, um, you know, will only watch the TV on like an even numbered volume. Like people do have their little quirks, but I think it's um, OCD when it when there's the fear of something happening because you don't give in and when it starts taking over your life that's when it becomes a real issue how do you keep it hidden because you kept it hidden from your family Mm. for a fair while it would Mm -hmm. be fair to say how do you keep something like that hidden i mean if it was let's say for instance uh a book that you shouldn't be reading um or maybe you're watching something on the internet Mm -hmm. uh that's kind of easy to keep hidden, mm-hmm. but let's be honest, doorknob turning, pages four at a time, that's not, not easy to keep Yeah, hidden. and I think that's the thing, um, OCD is very manipulative, and I think I um, I managed to, well I guess they weren't expecting it, so they weren't looking for it, once they knew it was an issue, they were aware of it, and so they could notice it more, but um, it's not something you really think about, so again, they probably just thought it was a quirk, um, I do a lot of stuff in my bedroom, and you know, same with the bathroom, kind of in the privacy of my own, own space, where yeah. people weren't um, seeing it as much. Uh, both illnesses are extremely secretive. You yep. get away with a lot without people knowing, yeah, you're which is right. dangerous. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Um, if I was the parent of a child maybe who I thought was suffering from either OCD or anorexia, mm-hmm. what are some of the things I should be looking out for? Oh, big question. Um, yeah. I think, I mean, change in behavior. I became very isolated. I was a really social person and all of a sudden didn't really want to hang out with people. Um, I was really on edge, quite moody, and that wasn't like me. So I think change of behavior is a good one. If, if your kid's suddenly acting as if they wouldn't. Um, yep. Around food, making a lot of excuses like, oh, I've already eaten or I'm not hungry or I've got a sore tummy can all be indications of things that aren't aren't going well. Um, and if you are concerned, I always say go to your GP and, and voice your concerns to them because they then can refer you to the right people. Yeah, and... Like, let's be honest about it, and I know some of your family members, mm-hmm. um, apart from being all completely insane, yeah. and I mean that <laughs> yeah, in a loving way, exactly. uh, you have an incredibly <laughs> loving and supporting family, yeah. and I know you do, and I, I, I read that you believed your issue started at the age of 10 for you, mm-hmm. um, where you, I think, saw a, yeah, you did, you saw a, a news story where somebody news. had been murdered, eh? Yeah. Uh, I had the same flip out, mm-hmm. I remember talking to my mum and dad about it, oh my God, 
you're going to die. Yeah. I'm going to die. We're all going to die type stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think it probably took me a day or two to get over it. Or like most boys, you know, you see something shiny and bright and it's like, boom, moving mm-hmm. on. What, what, when you got into that rut, I know that your family tried to help you. Yeah. Um, was there just no way of getting out? Was there nothing they could do? Or There wasn't. I mean, and this is a hard thing, and I think my parents felt a lot of guilt because they're like, what more could we have done? And I don't think there was anything more by the time they knew it was an issue. Like, I saw my first psychologist when I was 10 years old. Yeah. And I'm lucky to come from a family that could afford to, to pay yeah. for private um, psychology. And so they did everything they possibly could. Again, because it's so hidden, they didn't know the extent of what was going on. And I guess anxiety was something that was more deeply rooted in me, and so that was kind of just the trigger point. Um, and I imagine it started a bit before them but if I think of the moment at seeing that news yeah article how do you bring it all back to that moment because I know some people go oh that's just but you know that some um, psychologist got into her head and said mm. let's peel this all back mm. she's obviously got some daddy issues there or she's got something issues or right. blah 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 you've kind of gone oh, look this is the catalyst yeah this is where my journey started dropping down a little bit what made you think it was that was it just I've actually that- never been asked that before but the reason that I think it was that is because the news article was quite specific to how the murder had taken place, and that was my fear. So the reason I wasn't sleeping at night was because I was scared someone was going to get on a ladder and climb into my bedroom. So it was kind of, my fear was around what I'd actually seen on TV, hence thinking it was that being the catalyst. Yeah, and that's why the media have so much responsibility. Yes, 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 yes. By not eating, you've said it gave you some feeling uh, of like almost power you felt in control. Yeah. You said that you had a list of things that you wouldn't eat and that basically that list got longer and longer and mm. longer, yep. And your mind had like full control and that was pretty much anything to get a good job from your eating disorder. Yep. How bad was it? Like, were you just basically not eating anything at all? Like, yep. So when you had a day where you were eating next to nothing... How much were you not eating, if you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, and I actually can't remember how what the point I got to. Um, I mean, I'm a tall. I needed. It got bad to the point that I was admitted to hospital, so I wasn't well. But it. Yeah. Um, but I. I'm come from a tall body. I'm. I'm long. Yeah. Um, and so I was. I was obviously eating enough. Well, I guess not enough to survive, but I wasn't yeah. surviving. I was dying. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I couldn't tell you exactly what I was eating. Um, but yeah, my list became smaller and smaller. And the thing with an eating disorder is you can never please it. So no little amount of food or no amount of food is good enough. Yeah. So you can restrict all you want, but it's not going to be enough. No. Now, you were lucky enough not to have social media around in those days. Yes. And you say you're lucky because I've seen a, you do an article. So you've said it contributes to lots of issues these days because mm. you don't actually see the real person. And you're 100% correct. It's all, as I, one of my favorite phrases is, it's all unicorn and rainbows. Yeah. Right. Um, and the, I love this quote. The perception of perfect is really dangerous, right? Mm-hmm. So... What should people do, particularly teens, and I'm going to push it out as well, because I'm not in this age group anymore. Yeah. Even though you <laughs> You're find not it hard to believe. No, no, exactly. <laughs> wow. That sort of, yeah, uh, mid-20s, early 30s, just that whole thing of keeping up with the Joneses on Instagram or Facebook mm. or Snapchat or something, what's the best thing that people can do on social media to help themselves out if you know what I mean it's something that I constantly tell myself because you can't not I mean it's hard not to compare to yourself to what you see I think a big one is don't follow accounts that don't inspire you like if you're following someone and you're looking at their page and going actually this makes me feel crap about myself then unfollow them it's a really simple thing to do um, and can help you hugely Uh, I think it's really important to remember that 
like something like Instagram, you're only seeing the highlights. It's yeah. such a small part of someone's life. You have no idea if they were crying 10 minutes before they post that photo. A lot of people post because they want validation, because they're feeling crap and a few likes makes them feel good. I think it's just reminding yourself that that is not reality. And there's so many editing apps and like, it's, it's, it's hard to believe what you actually see on there. Yeah, exactly. And I think for me, one of the big things I see with lots of kids I talk to is don't compare yourself to other yeah, people as well. Completely. Like, no disrespect. Uh, but you know, uh, Jen's account mm. on Instagram and my account, you're always going to look better on Instagram than <laughs> I am. Just take that, all right? Uh, but <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. You're more than welcome. But don't you know? Don't compare yourself to somebody else. Uh, somebody else might have the Maserati mm -hmm. that you never ever may have. Please don't don't worry about it. You know, you you can go on and do bigger Completely. and better things. And I think that's one of the things. Like you are you. We're all unique. No one's the same. And it, and life's too short to spend it comparing yourself to someone else yeah exactly right and the world would be a boring place if everybody was made. exactly the same yeah. boring uh admitted to hospital in 2010 uh you spent three months there on your first admission mm -hmm. and i saw recently that you just went back and said hi to all the nurses i and did doctors. that would have been awesome uh, you were really open about how much you were struggling with the nurses and doctors. And you th said that that was, you think, one of the reasons why you got so much help. Yeah. 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 I think, I mean, in the first place, I got so much help because I was so unwell. And it's, it really frustrates me that you have to be, like, very underweight, medically unstable to receive help. Because with a lot of eating disorders, weight actually isn't a and it's no. an effector. Yeah. Um, a lot of them you can't even see if someone's struggling. Um, but yes, I I was very open with my team. Yeah. With a lot of people that I interact with as a police officer who are either suffering from a mental illness or a disorder or something else like that, there's lots of anger towards either police when we go to section them or lots mm -hmm. of anger where we, we have a family member ring up and say, hey, look, um, say, for instance, can you take Jen to hospital because she's not doing very well and we think that there's something really going on that she needs to get some help. What would your advice be to those kids that are either at hospital in the same situation you were yeah. or those ones where we've come to pick them up and we're going to hospital? It's hard, in the, and I mean, it's hard for people that I imagine you taking these people to hospital yeah. and they might be angry in the short term, but on the long, long run, like myself, I would, I would thank you guys for doing that. Um, what would I say to them? I, I mean, you're not, there's such limited, and we hear this all the time, there's such limited space in a mental health unit that unless you actually need to be there, someone's not going to put you there. And yeah. so you kind of have to, a lot of it is giving over trust and, and believing that that's the right place for you and that that's going to help you to get better. Now you had intensive treatment for two years. Yeah. Uh, you had paediatric eating uh, disorder ward, you had daily psychology sessions, uh, and you said it was a long journey learning how to cope, I guess. And you've said that you struggle with anxiety every day, mm -hmm. even now, right? Mm -hmm. So what do you use now to cope with your anxiety? Yeah. And what, what triggers, because I know that, um, and I've suffered from it as well, um, maybe not to the scale of some of my comrades, but I've had little minor bouts of PTSD and that type right. of stuff. And sometimes it can be the most inane things. Mm. And it's like, mm. so what's, what are some of your triggers and how do you deal with Coping it? Coping things. So my anxiety is so much better than it used to be. And I think everyone gets a little bit, you know, nervous and anxious at some points. Um, flying makes me extremely anxious to the point where I nearly have panic attacks when I fly, which yeah. is interesting because I've done a lot of flights. But for me, um, as silly as this sounds, breathing has become really important. Just yeah. like breathing and focusing on that and planting my feet into the ground and reminding myself that anxiety is just a feeling. It's not going to kill me and that the best way to kind of, get over the anxiety is to sit with it and just push through because yep. it will pass yeah cool you've said it's been a really long journey mm -hmm. uh, now that you've learned to love yourself for who you are 
what do you mean by that? Because, I mean, look, let's be honest. Some people would look at you and go, Man, this girl's got it all going on. She's a model. She's a youth advocate for some amazing community work. Um, she's going out. She's doing public speaking. She meets all these cool people and everything else. Mm. Seriously, what? You know? Yeah. yeah, and I completely understand that. And I yeah. think, I mean, I look at other people who've been through their own struggles or meet people and I'm like, they've got everything. They're all together. And actually, they've been through their own crap. I think it's important to remember that mental illness doesn't discriminate and that everyone goes through it. And um, There's moments where I've felt really selfish, um, which... Again, you shouldn't feel selfish for having had mental illness, but yeah. I'm like, I've, I mean, I, I grew up with the most amazing family, the supportive family. I had abundance of food available, and here I was not eating. But it's so much deeper than that, and so just reminding myself that actually this wasn't a choice. This was much, much bigger than me. Yeah. Um, and that just because you know my friends would go to university while I was in, you know, not a good place, or or vice versa, you know, it doesn't mean that they're not going to go through their own crap at some point. No, not that you'd ever wish it on someone. No, but you're exactly anyone right. could anyone could face a tricky time. Yeah, and we all do. Exactly right, and it's all dependent on your circumstances, what's going on in your life. And, yeah, yeah, completely. You're exactly right. Um, you used to um, you used to measure your eating and your workouts really strictly, uh, particularly when you had your anorexia. Now do you have issues like, for instance, if I gave you a Morrow bar and said, it's all yours, do you knock yourself out? Yeah, no. No See, worries. And that's the thing. I mean, no. And had you done that when I was unwell, I wouldn't have touched it. But if I had a burger put down in front of it, like, I mean, I'd go to a restaurant on Tuesday to eat a burger. I'm very, um, my relationship with food and exercise is really healthy now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I eat what I want to because it either tastes good or I feel like it or whatever it yeah. might be. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I still have, I live a really healthy lifestyle, but I, I balance is definitely key for me. Yeah. And I think some people also with that whole gym session thing, you know, mm-hmm. you get, you swing the other way, it starts off and it starts off as a really good health thing. Yeah. I've been down this road myself. You exercise six days a week. Yeah. You miss a gym session and you spend the rest of the day obsessing mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I'm going to not get fat, but yeah. you know, is this the beginning of the end? Am I going to get fat and lazy? Yeah. That type of stuff. So yeah. And it is. And I think when I was incorporating exercise back into my life during my recovery, I I was very careful about how I did that and very aware about the fact that it could become an obsession and I didn't want it to. So, you know, if I wake up and I don't want to work out, I don't work out. And I, I, you know, I allow myself to to do that. Yeah, walks as good as a gym session. Yeah, completely. Uh, You once said, the voice in your head is not your friend. It might seem like it is, but she, and I love the fact that you used the term she, thank you I don't even remember saying half the stuff. The voice in your head is not your friend. It may seem like it, but she's there to ruin you. She. And fighting her noise is so important. For uh, for every bad thing she calls calls you, try and replace it with something positive. Oh, it's quite insightful. Yeah, it was. Well done. Good good (laughs) at you. So, if I said to you, what is... Jen's positive mantra. Uh, what's the thing that you know when you go? Hmm. What's the thing? The first thing that comes into your head when you go something positive. You're enough. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Love it. That's awesome. Well, you're worth it. Now here's here's one for you. Do you ever get sick of talking about your battle? Because you know, yeah, there must be some days you go. People ring up and say, "Well, I'd really like to talk to you about your disorders and your yeah. OCDs and everything else." And you must, because I know I'm talking to. Uh, I've spoken to famous athletes and authors and everything else, and they're like, you know, my life sometimes feels like it's just 45 seconds, six years ago, yeah. and I replay that every, every day, yeah. uh, and sometimes I actually just feel like getting on the phone and saying, actually, you know what, I've moved on, why don't you? Yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting, and I guess I kind of have chosen to continue this path through Voices of Hope. I mean, for a long, long time, I've had a lot of shame for my illnesses, and so... 
to be able to speak about it openly and confidently is something I wouldn't have been able to do two years ago or three yeah. years ago. And so it's actually a real honour. And and I feel like it kind of makes that crappy time really worth it. Yeah. And there's nothing better than getting a message from someone saying thank you for, you know. I just think it's a powerful thing. And, and, and I don't want anyone to feel the shame I went through. And in order for that to happen, we need to have more people speaking out. Ain't that the truth, Amy? And, mm. Right, so then you and your mate Jez Thornton, and I'm coming for you, Jez. <laughs> yeah, watch uh, out. I am coming for you <laughs> for a podcast. Decide to launch Voices of Hope, right? Yeah. So, a couple of questions here. Where did you guys first meet? On Facebook. As you do? Through a mutual friend, yeah. yeah. right, cool, right. Now, I'm guessing that you didn't go, hi, my name's Jen, here's my disorders. No. And Jez didn't go, hi, my name's Jez, here's what I've done as mm. well. Perhaps we should form sort of like this... Not a mutual club, but perhaps we should form a club and actually tell the world about it. How did it start? So, um, I yeah, we were introduced through a mutual friend because Jazz and I were both interested in media. And so um, we were put in touch, became Facebook friends. And there was one day that Jazz put up a status on Facebook um, saying she just lost another friend to suicide. And I'm like, that... that sparked me to do something and I messaged her and I said hey look I'm sick of hearing stories like this obviously I'm really sorry for your loss but sick of hearing stories like this I've been through my own crap we need to do something and so we kind of brainstormed and planned I was living in the states at this time all um all over Facebook and the day I got home she came from a sleepover and we kind of just kicked it off from there so it was all it was all pretty random and out of the blue jazz fun fact didn't actually know about my own battles for the first few months like that's how ashamed i was i told her that i had mental health issues and anxiety but i didn't tell her what it was um so that was a big big thing for me to overcome being able to speak about it that's awesome well you want another fun fact about jazz yeah remember the very first video she made yeah that south seas pictures yeah most of the people that were involved in that video are either directors or producers from Brian and Bobby. Really? Yep, true story. <laughs> yep. Uh, including Man, some, it's of, such a small some of their tutors. I thought that was quite cool Weird. when I found it. Right, so what was your goal with Voices of Hope? Because, I mean, let's be honest, you got, and no disrespect to either of you amazing ladies, but mm-hmm. you've got two girls talking on Facebook about mm-hmm. how they can save the world. Mm-hmm. Look, let's be honest, when I was... 16 I think me and my friends we were going to save the world as yeah. well yeah yeah um yeah I think that's the thing I mean I think we're not going out there trying to save the world I think a whole when we created Voices of Hope it was really important for us to kind of create our purpose and our mission and it's about empowerment and recovery and um providing hope to people that are going through a crappy time so having that vision and mission really clear makes us um stay on track and keeps the work we do kind of focused on that and we've had to you know, one of the first things we're ever told is that we are going to lose people. We can't, we can't save people. It's no. not our job to save people, but we can do really powerful things by just, you know, um, providing hope. Yeah, and you get lots of um, people, and we'll get to this in a second. But um, I've jumped a couple of questions ahead of myself here. Yeah. But you get people like um, Tyson Fury, mm-hmm. uh, John Q, and um, all those types of, mm-hmm. I guess we'd say, tough guys. Mm-hmm talking about the illnesses and the depression and that type of stuff now yeah um has that helped the fact that you know there are more and more people talking about mental illness i don't think people actually realize how many people have ever thought about committing suicide or actually you know attempted or yeah yeah, or lost someone yeah yeah you know and i think i mean it seems as awful as it sounds like mental illness almost Bobby. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, almost seems normal and no, normal is the wrong word, but it's very common. I think it's because of the work I I do. But then actually, I look at my friends and family, and so many of them know people that have suffered or fought mental illness, and it, it is really common. And what was the question? It was about 
the fact that just you've got high profile people now talking yeah. about their illnesses yeah. and pretty much saying, hey, look, actually, you know what? I suffer from this. Yeah. Um, I've got PTSD. Um, you get guys coming back uh, from War conflict situations, yeah. you know, and we're talking really, really tough people mm. who go, you know what? I still to this day can't walk past this because it gives me a flashback yeah. to there. I think I think it's incredibly powerful and again I think um, especially when it comes to combating the stigma is the more people that speak about it. You know I often talk about the, the day that we can speak about um, mental illness as openly as we can about physical illness and the yep. same sympathy can be given will be an incredible day and yep. so I think the more voices um, and especially those voices of influence like John Kerwin and this and yep. it creates much needed change. Yeah um, and i got to be honest having apart from that little bit of you know the old flashback back in the yeah. I've never suffered from mental illness so I try to read John Kilwin's book mm-hmm. I got about halfway through it and I'm just I just can't relate to this right. um, so like you say I think sometimes when the time's right people will listen but the more people that are out in the world like Jazz and Jen the yeah. better because I think people then actually get to realise oh okay this can happen to anybody mm. and yeah it's not that and I think it's one of those things like mental illness to understand it you know, you don't, you won't really completely understand it until you've been through it, or yeah. unless you've been through it. Um, but for people that haven't or won't, lucky them. Um, yeah. but also it's just about being open to learning and being educated and and not judging. Yeah, you're not wrong. So, blokes, men, guys, mm-hmm. us, we have the worst stats. Yep. When it comes to suicide, uh, mental health issues, and everything else, many which many of which go hidden due to pride. Well, that stupid old stereotype, you know, where you've got to be six foot four, muscular. Tough boys yeah, you've got to be a blokes, bloke, yeah. yeah, that type of stuff. How do we make it better for guys? And I'm not asking you to solve the world here, but mm-hmm. I'm just asking you for a general sort of thought. How do guys make it better for themselves mm-hmm. and actually deal with these issues? Because um, lots of guys I know, you know, they just sort of punch one another in the shoulder, yeah. give the raised eyebrow, and it's like, yeah, you're Sword good, bro. No worries. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, but yeah. And it's really dangerous. We actually did a men's campaign, which is quite ironic to young girls doing a men's campaign. And we, because yeah. we were really curious about why this was happening and, you know, financial burdens and the whole boys don't cry, I have to be tough, rugby culture, all of that came up. Um, I think with the, the more and more, more and more, the more, sorry, men speak yep. up like John Kerwin and, and the likes of them about their own struggles, the more men that will feel like it's okay. And I think as women, we have to let guys know that we don't see them as any we don't see them as weak if they if they speak our saying is it's not weak to speak and so it's actually really powerful to see a guy be vulnerable and and i think guys need to to put their mental health first and and not pretend everything's okay because it's it's killing them yeah and the thing Talk I to always, your friends yeah I, the thing i always relate to is if you watch any action hero movie yeah because i mean let's both most guys are like, oh, yeah mm-hmm. there's always a bit in that in that movie where that hero hits rock bottom yeah. and then picks themselves up. So I'm like, same, same. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think it's just more conversation around it. Yeah. And really shaking that idea that they have to be tough. Yeah. Um, what about um, that sort of the naysayers who sort of say, look, no disrespect to you, Jen, but mm-hmm. you're 25 mm-hmm. and you're... Nearly 25 and 24. Oh, sorry. How Close. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> still young. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Made me sound old. Yeah, so. you're... <laughs> generation is just a generation of like absolute snowflakes Mm. let's be honest if we put like six of you in a room and ask you to solve a problem without a cell phone Mm. you guys will go to pieces what do you say to those folks because i know that there's plenty of them out there you know like they will see uh, 
uh, kids who are 10 or 11 having anxiety yeah. and going, seriously, that child just needs to be told what to do, yeah. get this sorted and actually suck it up buttercup because that's the way you're going to get through it. Right. And I think, I mean, I think um, we are the next generation and things are only, um, you know, people are only getting, what am I trying to say? Is that, that if you put, I think I disagree that I think if you put six of us in a room, young people, we'd come up with some really um, creative and and important ways to kind of combat things. And I think because we are um, relatable to the young kids and because there's no denying that social media is going to continue to grow, yeah. um, we're not better than, than the older people. And I just think you kind of, you can't change what's already there. You've just got to make it work and find new ways about it. This is making much more sense in my head than it is when oh, it's yeah, coming no, out of I my mouth. I know what you're trying to say, yeah. Like... Um, but it's... Yeah, if people looked at us and go, they're 24, they don't know what we're talking about, I think we can probably relate to a lot more people than than they even realise. Yeah, and what do, you, what do you say to those people? Because I know that there's other people as well, you know, so there was never ever any 10-year-old suffer from anxiety yeah. when I was at school. That was, they were just giving a clip around the ear and told right. to get on with it. Um, do you think it's the fact that we're actually beginning to talk about mental illnesses and um, I'm not going to say disorders, but just sort of mm. some behaviours mm. at school where kids actually go, you know what? That might be me. That might be what I have. Mm. So they can go, okay, I think that's what I've got. Or do you think that we are in a culture of sort of over-diagnosis mm. where some of the kids get not labelled, but they get sort of, you know, perhaps you've got this. And the kid right. goes, actually, you know what, I might have. Yeah. yeah, and labels can be really, I mean, I know for me when I got a label, when I was diagnosed, it gave me, it, there was a sense of relief because I knew that there was actually something going on and it wasn't just a choice and I wasn't just acting out or being stubborn or whatever. Like, you know, there was actually something real going on. But I think also in saying that labels can be dangerous because, um, you know, if you put a label on a 10-year-old kid and say they've got, you know, anxiety then I, I don't know it's a, it's a real tricky one and I can't really yeah. speak on that because I'm not a professional but yeah. I think um I think I mean social media is is like I've said is playing a huge role in this and and kids younger and younger are getting phones I didn't have a phone till I was like 14 my parents didn't have a phone till they were like 25 or something you know yeah, yeah. and so kids are having access to a lot of more things a lot younger um, and TV shows are more open now. So, yeah, I don't know. I just seem like there's more more influence out there, perhaps. Yeah, not wrong. Now, you and Jazz get an invite, invite to a cafe. Yes. To go and speak to two people. Yes. Right? One of them's got ginger hair. Yes. You know what I'm talking about now, yep, don't you? I right? Do. <laughs> right, yeah. So, now, I know people who have met uh, Prince Harry. Yep. Uh, they haven't met his uh, wife, but they've met him, and they're from military backgrounds, mm-hmm. and they say he's a great, Squatty boy, basically meaning he'll come down, sit at the table with you. Mm. They'll go, oh, you're Royal Highness, what do you want? And he goes, no, no, yeah. none of the Highness stuff. It's just Harry, I'm just having a brew with some troops. Yeah. Move on. When you had your meeting with him, number one, how did it come about? Because let's mm-hmm. be honest, I didn't get the invite. Yeah. yeah, right? yeah. 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 I've and, been asked this quite a lot recently. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. Have, yeah. And uh, number two is, what do you guys talk about when you are there? Were you, uh, your anxiety... Mm. Uh, has got to be going through the roof, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it was more excitement than anything, I think. Um, how it came about is the Department of Eternal Affairs, I think that's who it was, contacted me and Jazz through email um, saying that they would like us to be part of a special event, not naming it, could we please give them a call? And so we did, and then they 
we had to sign police forms. It was all yeah. completely under wraps. We knew about it a long time before it actually came about. Um, and then went down to Wellington, had the opportunity to sit down with them. And um, I actually, through the work I do at Rotary, had an opportunity to meet them again the next night. Um, and for the next night, we were told that we weren't allowed to shake their hands or, or you know, um, yeah, we weren't allowed to initiate yep. shaking of hands. If they did it, we were allowed to shake back, but there yep. was kind of all these strict rules about it. But at the cafe, it was real normal. It was just like the guy next door had come and sit down at the table. He was the most genuine, down to earth. He was just sitting there, having his glass of water, chatting. He wasn't like, he doesn't, he's not overdressed. He looks like your average Joe. Yep. Um, and he you reached out, gave a handshake. You know, it was, it was real, it, it was really nice to see someone's with such a I mean Prince Harry was just the most normal person ever and I think that's you have to remember they are just human yeah um and he's really down to earth and really genuine and I think that was one of the biggest things I got out of it that he he wanted to be there you know he was being told by his advisors that he had to move to the next table and he's like no I'm in the middle of a really good conversation oh, yeah. like he could have sat there all day if he'd had the, the option good kudos to you then all right so the last question I always ask although I'm going to ask you two last questions yep. is um, and I got this from a stage show that my friend ran mm. where he was feeling lonely and depressed. Um, so what he did was he faked his own death. Okay. So that he could actually go behind the curtain of his own eulogy yeah. and hear everybody saying wonderful things about him. A bit like some people do on social media right. with the likes and everything else. Yeah. So I always say to people, right, I'm going to put you in that circumstance where you're behind the curtain yeah. at your own eulogy and you're listening to what people have got to say about Jen. Mm-hmm. What would you hope that they're going to say? This is so weird. I was just meeting with my agent and we were talking about stuff. And she's like, what do you want people to say at your funeral? Yeah. Because we were talking about like what I want to do and stuff. But um, that's a good question. I um, I think inspiring is a really powerful word. Um, if people said she was very authentic and genuine and, and loyal. I think being loyal and being a true friend and, and being a listener is a huge thing. Um, and hopefully fun and nice and social and... Yeah, not a little shit, but well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, what uh, a cool question. All good. Okay, right. And finally, because I know that some of the uh, topics we've spoken about, uh, there might be somebody sitting there having a listen to us, and the little bee in their brain might be going off and going, actually, you know what? Perhaps it's time for me to reach out. Perhaps it's time yes. for me to ask help or something else. So, where are the best places that we can go for the layman to start the process of healing? Yeah, so um, I always say GP is a great first start, but um, if anything has come up for you during this conversation, um, giving our friends a call at 1737, you can call or text or email 1737 and they're trained counsellors and they get back to you and it's just really good to have an open chat. It can be confidential if you want to, but yes, 1737 is the place to go. Beautiful. And if you want to follow Voices of Hope, Facebook? Yes, Facebook Voices of Hope, Instagram Voices of Hope, website uh, thevoicesofhope.org. And YouTube channels even as YouTube well. YouTube channels, yeah. I forgot about that, yeah. Voices yeah. of Don't Hope. Don't forget about that. So yeah. I'm looking after you, Jez. <laughs> Jen is not. Yeah. All right. No, exactly. Okay. I know. All right. Thank you very much. It's been very enlightening. Thank uh, you. Great to talk about this. And like I said, the more we talk about this, I think the better it is for everybody. Yeah. Um, so yeah, thank Agreed. you. Cappuccino with Constable Brian. Real people, real stories. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss his next podcast.